this week on Missions Today. I, I believe in sending foreign missionaries. That's a, that's a super underappreciated job. But ultimately, to, to reach everyone everywhere, you have to work through nationals. It's the only way to get that done. So they, they know where all the dirt roads are. They know who all the dirt roads lead to. You know, they're right there to do the follow-up. They don't win them and forget them and all that kind of stuff. You know, they're, they're, right, they're right there reaching their own people. And who has a greater heart for your people than yourself? Reaching as many people as possible in the least amount of time in the most efficient ways possible. That's the mission of our guest this week. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Dustin Manis is the president and CEO of Reaching Souls International. Their focus is finding those people on the ground, nationals already doing the work of preaching, teaching, and or evangelism, giving them the training and support they need to be out each day, each week, and then have them meet with people face to face to share the good news of the gospel. Reaching Souls currently supports almost 2,400 people in the field in 14 countries. And because of that, they're reaching tens of thousands of people with the good news every month. And they're praying for growth in the coming years. Efficiency with the gospel. That's the topic this week on Missions Today. Hey, Dustin, thanks so much for being with us today. Tell us a bit about the focus of your organization. We exist to reach the maximum number of people for Christ in the least amount of time and in the most efficient way. So we put our purpose in our name, and we believe that there are many great things that you can do in in the world to help people. But the most important thing, priority number one, would be to introduce them to Christ and secure their place in heaven. So our goal is to always look for the Lord's harvest and bring it in. Amen. Amen. We're going to come back to the organization. I just wanted to give people a sense of what you're doing, but I want to talk a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your background, growing up years, your journey of faith. Thank you for that. Let's see. Well, it, it really ties into to reaching souls, and I'm, I'm going to, I guess, bring it back around. But Jimmy Hodges was the founder of this ministry. Jimmy was my father's youth pastor when my dad was 14, 15, 16 years old, and taught him how to be a soul winner. Jimmy went on to be full-time evangelism. My dad, you know, grew up in the oil and gas business. And and when I was a sophomore in high school, the Lord brought Jimmy and my dad uh, back together. Their paths crossed. Jimmy was expanding into Africa at that time. My dad went with him on his first pastor's training project there, came back, sold his business, went in full-time with, with Jimmy. And that changed the trajectory of my family's life and mine as well. Talk a little about that. How did how did that change your life from where you were to to this new trajectory? Yeah, you know, my my mom and dad were good Christian people and uh, good business people, but but I think when my dad went full-time with with reaching souls with with Jimmy Hodges, just me seeing the the focus on the most important things, I guess the eternal things. And certainly you can be in business and focus on eternal things. And, and we depend on those kind of people every day. But, but for my dad, it just went up a notch from those things are important to those things are the focus of my life. And so seeing him do that was eye-opening for me and also just kind of opened up the possibilities uh, for my own future and my own life, just thinking that that was, I don't know, maybe something the Lord would have for me also, which he eventually did. 
But my wife and I went to Africa for the first time when we were 21 years old and with uh, Jimmy Hodges and my dad and, I don't know, left a big part of our heart there. And when, when we came back, we knew that was something we wanted to be a part of. But for the longest time, it's just as volunteers and, and supporting financially and those things for about five or six years down the road in, until I was invited to come on uh, full time. So as a young person and seeing this transformation with your dad and his kind of focus and direction, at that point, did you begin to think about a mission or mission type activity as part of your career or your outlook, or was it kind of more of a side thing at that point? Probably more of a side thing at, at the beginning because I was in high school and most of that stuff was to the side when I was in high school. I think in college, of course, I, I transitioned, but I was saved when I was 18 years old. So when my dad started with Reaching Souls, that was interesting to me and important, but I wasn't even a believer. And so, you know, my, my dad's beliefs weren't my beliefs. When I got to go see it with my own eyes, I was a believer. And so, of course, everything was different. But even at that time, I wasn't really thinking, you know, full-time ministry. I just knew that was something I wanted to be a part of. And I thought primarily that would be just financially supporting the ministry. Talk about that first experience, you and your wife going to Africa and experiencing some of this firsthand, just some of your memories and thoughts from those days. Yeah, I, th I think the Oh, the, the reality, like any young person, when you, when you travel overseas and you realize most of the world doesn't live like you live. So a lot of gratitude, some really good perspective. I think it's really important if young people have the opportunity to go overseas or on any type of international mission trip while they're young and still trying to make all those major decisions in their life, that they can get some, some good perspective on how most of the world lives and how the Lord might want them to invest their life. I think that's really important. For me, I saw the hardship of the uh, African pastor leader and just culturally how difficult it is to, to live in sub-Saharan Africa. But I saw very uh, loving people, people that were very open to the gospel, didn't have all the material things that sometimes get in the way of seeing your need for a savior. You know, they didn't have that. So they die young and have live a hard life, very open to, to spiritual things and, and looking for hope. And so very, very responsive to the good news and, and looking for good news. And so seeing that uh, was very uh, impactful on my life because I saw practically, oh, that's one of the places where the harvest, it may be other places in the world, but I, but I knew the harvest was there. And so that made a lot of sense. Talk about your transition to reaching souls. How you, You've kind of set the background, uh, the, the dad involvement and then your own trip. Where did it become a reality in your own life that this is where I'm being called? And, and what did that look like? In my late 20s, I was in uh, outside sales and, and doing pretty well with that. Jimmy Hodges, the founder, had asked me a couple of times to come to work for the ministry and fundraising, which was a, a great need, like at most ministries, but I was not interested in that. I said, no, thank you, Jimmy. I'm on a different trajectory. But then the, the last time that he asked, the Lord had already been doing a, a uh, work in my heart. I didn't even understand what a calling was at, at that time, Colin. I just, I knew I was supposed to be doing something more. I didn't know it was at Jimmy Hodges Ministries at the time, which is now Reaching Souls International. But when he when he called and asked if we could just go to lunch and talk about it, I said yes. And and so we had that conversation and and we had just had our second child. We just built a house. My wife had just resigned as a, a school teacher to stay home with the kids, just some major life stuff that when he offered me a position to come to work 
making whatever it was, maybe 20% less than we were making. It was one of those things that only made sense in God's economy, you know, to, to do. But we had the faith to do it. And really, I leaned into the faith of my wife. We were standing in the, the living room of that new house, the same house I still live in today. And we were talking about it. And she said, if we only go to work there for a year, we'll be a part of more of an eternal impact of a whole lifetime outside of there. I thought, wow. Okay, I, I leaned into that and, and, and needed it. And, and we took the, the, the plunge and that was uh, 26 years ago. So the Lord's taken care of us and it's been our privilege to, to be here. Long time. Yeah, that's an incredible story. And thank you for sharing it. I, I, I think it's always important for people to kind of hear how the Lord directs people's lives. It's different in every circumstance, but in some ways there are similarities in each of our stories. And I, I appreciate you being willing to share that. Let's dig more deeply into the ministry itself, Reaching Souls International. Uh, you kind of gave us a high-level high view. What are the practical day-to-day things, the activities that your organization is involved in day-to-day? All right. So I I said that our goal is to reach the maximum number of people in the least amount of time in the most efficient way. And where it gets real is the question you just asked me. So practically, how do you do that, right? And so for for me, if that's the goal, the first thing you got to decide is, well, where can you go do that? So where where is the harvest where you can go reach the most and in, in, in least amount of time and all that stuff? And we know the the poor in this world has been made rich in faith. James tells us that we're highly concentrated in the poorest regions of the world where people are still very responsive to the gospel. So once you get there, you got to decide how you're going to do it, right? So that's strategy, and I think that's what you're asking me. So for us, our strategy is a nationals reaching nationals approach, and so we support local evangelists who are already doing the work. God's already put that fire in their belly to go reach their own people for Christ. And they're doing that as good as they can, but with some training, some tools, some monthly financial support that allows them to either do more of that or do that more effectively. That's what we're looking for. That's, that's the sweet spot for us. And so it's nationals reaching nationals who they don't need to go to language school. They understand the culture. They don't need a passport or a plane ticket, you know, they're, they're reaching their neighbors and their own people for Christ. It's a great model, and obviously it's allowing you to reach a lot of folks. Tell us how many countries you're involved in and the kind of level of work you're doing right now. Okay, so we're in 14 countries. Of those national missionaries, we support 2,377 of them across those 14 countries. The majority of our work is in Africa, but we're also in Latin America and Southeast Asia growing in those areas. Really, we're still growing in Africa, Southeast Asia, and Latin America, because that's where the gospel's growing. I mean, that's where Christianity is growing, still in those three regions. And so that's that's where we are. We're trying to reach as many as we can for, for as long as we can. But the nationals, if you're if you're serious about the work, and I, I hope that sounds okay, if you're really trying to complete the, the Great Commission, that's the only way to do it at scale. I mean, it just makes sense. I, I, I believe in sending foreign missionaries. That's a, that's a super underappreciated job. But ultimately, to, to reach everyone everywhere, you have to work through nationals. It's the only way to get that done. So they, they know where all the dirt roads are. They know who all the dirt roads lead to. You know, they're right there to do the follow-up. They don't win them and forget them and all that kind of stuff. You know, they're, 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 right, they're right there reaching their own people. And who has a greater heart for 
your people than yourself, right? Let's talk for a moment about finding the right people to do the work. I, I've been in ministry long enough and, you know, through social media, uh, send out information about things that I'm doing. And I, I can't tell you how many responses I get from people who say they have ministries and they're wanting money to help fund their ministry. It could be a children's orphanage or a school or a, uh, you know, whatever, name name the organization. There seem to be just an endless number of possibilities of being able to fund things that are already going on and find people that are already doing work. What's the process look like to find the right people to carry out your mission? Yeah, very, that's a great question and very hands-on. And, and so in a new country, especially, it's difficult if, if you're going to a new area, because really you're just looking for someone you can trust to, to introduce you to the right people, right? In, in the countries that we've been in, and some of them we've been for many, many years, 30 years, uh, we, we have a great leadership structure there, but, but very, very hands-on and even very hands-on, Colin, after we're already up and going. And so our, our leadership structure and, and model is very established now. Accountability is very high for us. Accountability and stewardship is a, a core value here. And so every national missionary has to turn in a monthly report of, of what they do. And what we ask them to do um, is two things, to go to where their people are and have 12 open air meetings a month. So outside of their church, right? So you're going to the the school, the prison, the market, you know, wherever the people are. And the second thing is to report back on what God did. Now, we have national leadership in place in each country that inspect that work and receive those reports, but we also go inspect the work. And so I think that's very, very important. My dad always called it the grunt work. But Colin, if you were one of our evangelists and you started three churches last year, I may show up and say, Colin, I, I know you weren't expecting me. I'd like to go see him. You know, let's go visit those churches or all the testimonies that come across my desk every month. And some of them are there. Some of them can be almost unbelievable. And and I'll and I'll circle them. So here's a 75 year old uh, witch doctor that had been against Christ his whole life. And, and he just came to Christ. Or here's here's a 14 year old young man who couldn't see and the Lord healed him and he gave his life to Christ. I don't know if I believe that. You know, even though I get a witness it all the time, I'd still, I don't know, I'm a skeptic at heart. So I'll start circling those. I'll get on a plane and I'll go see, you know, I want to meet this one. I want to meet this one. I want to meet this one and verify eyewitness testimony. Is that true? And is that not true? You know, so I'm kind of getting off on that a little bit, but in finding those that, that we're going to support, every single one of them sits down for a face-to-face, knee-to-knee interview the application process is, is very detailed. Most of the time they're recommended. They're Timothy of one of the other national missionaries we're already supporting, or they, you know, they wasn't always that way in the beginning. That's hard, right? But, but now that you've been doing this for 37 years, it's a little bit more established. And then they're all, like I said, they're all, they're all interviewed. They have to already be doing the work that evangelism, church planning, uh, discipleship, all has to be a priority. They can do a lot of other good things. And we're not interested in those things. Other people can do those things. You know, only the church can do evangelism and discipleship. No one else is coming to do it. So that's that's what we're focused on. But the interview process, it used to be we'd interview 10 for every one that we selected. Now that the, the pool's better and we've gotten better at pre-qualifying people, 
we'll interview three or four for every one national missionary we select to start receiving support. Thanks for sharing that. I think uh, people find it so helpful to understand the process, the rigor that organizations go through to find the best people to do the work. And especially when you're using nationals and you're halfway around the world, making sure that that's cared for. Secondly, I love over and over again, you heard the word pastors, evangelists, local church. Obviously, that's so huge to the growth and discipleship of believers in those areas. So good to hear your focus on those things as well. You've expanded, I think you said, recently to Southeast Asia. How do you kind of decide where to go next? And are you looking at new areas? Yes, we're always looking at new areas. And that's if if your model is to reach the maximum number of people of Christ, and I know I keep saying it, in the least amount of time in, in the most efficient way, you always have to be exploring to make sure you're still in alignment with that, right? So what if the harvest really opens up in, in another area? And so I always say we're called to a, a vocation, not, not a location, so we're always looking, okay? What if the harvest does dry up in Africa? You know, where, where are we going next? And so, so we're always looking at that. We've been in Cuba the last 10 years. We've got 300 national missionaries in Cuba. Mexico, we started in just, just two years ago and uh, are looking at Colombia right now. Some of the places in Southeast Asia, I really don't want to say right now, but we're but we're growing there, and I'm real pleased. We've opened up some new countries there very recently. All of the countries go through a a grid, a pre like matrix that we put them through to see if they qualify for for a country that's a good fit with us. And so some of that is the the result. Some of that is can we can we get in there in person and inspect the work, or is that closed off to us? You know, can we get in support to the nationals? Is that something you can wire? Do you have to carry it? You know, I mean, all that kind of stuff that, that you have to look at. And can we maintain the same accountability structure that, that's so in, important to us? And so there's a lot of things that, 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 go, in, that go into that. And even the responsiveness to the gospel. Uh, most places aren't going to be like, like Africa. So most places are a little harder. But I still want to be planting some seed in some places that are just Maybe they're just starting to soften a little bit. Uh, certainly, we know that, that that fruit is precious when it does. In, in Africa, the average national missionary there will see between 3,500 and 4,000 salvation decisions every year. That's, that's unbelievable. You know, in, in Cuba, they, they may see 50 to 60, 70 a, a month. And I know that's hard to believe when, when people are on the outside, but if you... If you would even think about your own church, you know, your, your, your best people, if they were going out three, four, five, six, seven hours every weekend and canvassing neighborhoods, and, and you'd probably see a lot more people coming to Christ than, than you currently are. And so you're talking about almost 2,500 of these national missionaries on the daily. You know, th this is what they do. And every time they have one of those open air meetings, they, may, they see an average of about 20 to 25 people come to Christ. That's a three or four hour event of open air preaching and going door to door to door to door with their Timothys and, and a big group from their church. And so the, if you're a numbers person, you can do the math and all that, all that plays out. But sometimes no one comes to Christ and sometimes there's a hundred. I mean, that, that's God's business. You know, he, he does that. We, we, don't, we don't save anybody. But what we can control is the number of times we go out to preach the gospel and share Christ one on one. And that's what we're trying to do. So. We set the goals for that. We don't give salvation goals for our missionaries because 
that's God's business. You know, we don't want anyone making anything up or feeling the pressure to put in a number or any of that kind of stuff. They just need to report back on, on what God did. What are your biggest challenges right now? Oh, boy, that's a that's a great question. Finances are always a, a challenge, but that that's up and down. You know, some years that's been great. Some years that's tight. Right now, that's that's tightened up. But I think a lot of ministries, you know, that's tightened up because people don't have, you know, as much uh, uh, disposable income maybe than, than they did maybe a year ago. Okay, so so that's tightened up a little bit. But expanding into new countries, we've got a goal this year to expand into two new Southeast Asia countries and two new countries in in Latin America. Identifying leadership, like we talked about, when you're we're going into a new country, is always the hardest thing. And, and so that's a challenge. That's an obstacle. That's even a prayer request, you know, as, as we go in. Not every country is a, a fit. And so we, we want to go in when we're exploring, listening to the Holy Spirit and knowing that God's no is as good as God's yes. And if he says no and not now, then that's okay. You know, we take that as a win because that means we're, we're still in his will, right? But the desire is to expand in a, you know, a ton of them. Your flesh, you think, well, bigger the better. You know, of course the Lord wants that. But the the pressure to, to to figure that out and the the surge in evangelism that's been taking place this last couple of years. Most most ministries I'm talking to, other evangelists, other leaders, Colin, they're feeling like a 10-year window here. I don't know if you've heard that with some of your other guests. Yeah, so yeah. I don't mean I don't I don't mean Christ is coming back in 10 years, but he might, you know, this could be the year that Christ comes back. I I, I don't know. And maybe 10 years, there's it's the falling away or it's going to be more difficult to, to reach. I don't know why, but I know that he's stirred that up in me and he's stirred that up in other Christian leaders that I'm talking to that now's the time to get serious. <laughs> so half efforts aren't, aren't good enough anymore. And so uh, for us, we measure almost everything uh, because we're serious about the work. And some might look at us and say, wow, why do you? Why do you count the salvation decisions? Why do you, why are you always talking about numbers and all that stuff? And I would say because every person matters. You know, how, how do you measure the impact that you're having and, and know how to allocate resources if you're if you're not counting those things and measuring those things? I think we we count most everything that's important to us. You know, you know how many kids you have and how much money you have in the bank and all that kind of stuff, you know. And and you ever play a game with someone who's wants to just play for fun, they don't want to keep score? <laughs> that's not me. Yeah, me it's either. not me. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not playing just just for yeah. fun. Finally, just uh, I know you mentioned kind of you get stories all the time. Is there a story recently that has come across your desk uh, of of the work that, of one of your people or in one area where you're ministering that just kind of touched your heart, maybe beyond the others? When you see millions, like literally millions of people coming to Christ every year, you have to be real careful. That, that you don't just get caught up in those numbers. And I always tell people that that is one by one by one they came, you know, it, it, each one, right? And and so so I appreciate the question. I, I was just, re- there, gosh, there's so many, but but I was just reading about a, a man in, in, in Burundi that had just lost his wife and they'd been in a, he was in the set, he's in his seventies currently, and, and they'd been in the uh, sorcery together for 50 something years. Our national missionary went to visit him after his wife had, had died. He was very resistant to the national missionary and basically all Christians said, nobody was here for me when she died. You know, why are you here for me now? The, the Lord had prompted our missionary to, to give him some money, which is very unusual and very unusual for, for us just to, to help out during this time. That really blessed him. 
And he invited our national missionary back. And when the national missionary came back to visit with him, he was able to lead him to Christ. And so here's this guy, about 74 years old, just lost his wife, knows that she's lost, forever lost. And so he's mourning that, but he's a new creation. And that's because our national missionary took the time to, to love on him, to give something out of his own pocket, love on him that way, and provide some uh, rice so the guy could feed his grandchildren in the middle of his morning. I just read that this morning. I just got that testimony. And then there's a ton of them, but that one's fresh because there's a lot of talk about reaching the next generation for Christ, reaching children, and I'm all about that. But I'm also about reaching this generation for Christ, where people are still responding to the gospel. And this man is a sorcerer for 50 years. He's in his 70s. Most people would look at him and think he's probably one of the furthest away from Christ. Like he's, it would take a miracle. And, and it did, you know, and, and, and here he is now. He's a joint heir with Christ and been adopted by the Lord himself. Wow, miracles are still happening in the lives of people, like the story you just heard. It's never too late for someone to receive and respond to the good news. And that's what today's guest and his team are doing, making sure there are opportunities each day for people to hear that news. For more information about Dustin or Reaching Souls, be sure to check out today's podcast notes. Well, speaking of podcasts, this podcast, Missions Today, is brought to you by me and my friends at Resource Global. To learn more about what they're doing around the world and how you can participate, check it out at resourceglobal.org. That's resourceglobal.org. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to hear from a man who very early in his career determined he would give most of his money away to God's work around the world. And that's just what he's done. It's so helpful if you subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.